How are we doing, Grace? I know it's really different from, from what we're used to. I'm usually here during the music and the song, but I do feel really blessed in being able to join with y'all during this part of the service because, I mean, it's a prayer I've had just for years to be able to continue to cast vision to our church and, and to how, how we're supposed to be worshipers of God, how we're supposed to be worshipers of Jesus. But before we get into any of that, it's the last Sunday of 2020. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, jokes, jokes aside, it, it seems like it's been a tough year for everyone. I mean, just worldwide. And, and I, I think it's also really important for us to challenge each other and ourselves as the church to be intentional about a time like this, about the end of the year. It's really natural for us to look back at what's happened uh, and to look forward at what we can hope to happen. And I mean, wherever you find yourself, if you're just anxiously living in a COVID devastated world, or if you just didn't have that much fun doing school online, um, if you're kind of just in the climb back, the, back up the ladder of just finances and career, I know a lot of people fell from that. If you're ending 2020 after losing loved ones like I have, whether it's been through illness or through COVID itself, my hope is that we can challenge ourselves today up to what New Year's Eve would be and seek God in, in all the blessings that he's given us within this past year, even through such a tough year. That a year like this may make us more constantly aware that God wants to use every season of our lives, not just the good ones. Amen? And, and also, as we naturally look forward to, may we just not hope for better things, but for God to give us eyes to see so clearly how he's present in each of our circumstances, whatever 2021 has in store for us. So would you, like, like Pastor Eddie was saying, would you be in prayer as we come into a new year, seeking God and seeking his will, amen? And let's start off with praying for that and also praying for our time in his word. Thank you, Father, for just personally giving me the opportunity to speak with the church who has blessed me beyond any measure. Just give us a time to use the end of the year to look back at, at each of our seasons, each of our situations. And although we might look back with hurt, with hurt and with loss, or as if something was missing like community, God, you have been so present we know and we believe that you are a faithful God who wants to show himself and pour your glory over us always, not just in the victory, but in the sorrow. And as we look forward to, to a new year, 2021, uh, would you give us a sensitive heart to your presence? That even whatever 2021 has in store for us, if it's victory, if it's something better, God, you are present, but even in the valley, even in the sorrow, God, you want to show your presence. You want to show your goodness and your mercy. So teach us that and continue to pour that into us as we end the year. 
And also just pray for this time together in your word. Teach us how to be true worshipers and give us a sensitive heart to not only listen to your word, but to seek out the way that you're transforming every single area of our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So not only is today the last Sunday of 2020, it's also my wife, Celeste and I's first year anniversary. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's been amazing. And, and I remember just in our engagement period when people would come up to, to me personally and would tell me, man, you're going to learn the true meaning of love and the true meaning of loving somebody intimately and caring for them. And that's been true all year. And it's something that I understand and know that is going to continue to grow. But I think one of the most surprising things I've learned in marriage is how unloving I've been in my relationship with the Father, with God. Because action and reaction is, I mean, it's, it's instantaneously when it comes to marriage. If I act against my wife's emotions or hurt her feelings, it's, it's almost instantaneously, immediately I get to react, whether that's in a prideful, selfish way or whether that's being kind and caring for her heart. But when it comes to my relationship with God, I, I can go days or weeks or months without giving a second thought about the way I've fallen uh, to, to God's calling. Worship is essential to our relationship with the Father, and it's something that we might have never given a second thought about. So let's use this time to ask ourselves, what does worship truly mean? Why do we sing as part of our worship? Why is that important? And how should we be worshipers of God? So we'll seek out, let's start in Romans 12. In context, this is a pivotal part of Paul's writing in Romans. He's already talked about our sin, such an abundance of theology, our sin uh, of God's salvation that he brings through Christ, of God's sanctification that he gives through his spirit. He's talked about his sovereignty, so many things. And now Paul gets into just a more participatory faith. What is our response to all of God's truth? And Paul defines what worship is like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I promise you, I tried my best. I looked at every translation I could, but nowhere could I find the word sing or nowhere I could find music. So why, why do we think of these things when, when somebody mentions worship? And I mean, you're not alone. If you Google worship right now, the images are going to be giant stadiums and giant crowds and lasers going everywhere. I mean, it's, it's just an explosion of stuff. But these things do not define our worship, and we see that in this passage. A songwriter and, and, and pastor I've listened to, Jesse Reeves, a pastor in Austin, Texas, put it simply like this within the context of this verse. Singing does not define your worship. Our worship is defined by the degree that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. So what does that mean for us? Worship isn't a superficial act. 
It's an all-encompassing way of life. Worship doesn't begin at 11 a.m. Sunday morning when, uh, when we start playing the first song. Worship is when you haven't seen a brother and sister in Christ and, and you call them, up, call them up and connect with them and listen to where they're at in life and, and, and lift them up in Christ's love. Worship is leading in our homes, whether that's spouses growing each other in faith, whether that's parents teaching their, their sons and daughters uh, scripture and its principles, whether that's sons and daughters obeying and honoring their parents. Worship is using wisdom and integrity in our workplaces. Worship is not just doing school so that you can see wider horizons, but for God to be seen throughout all of our community. It's something that's inward. Worship is laying your life down spiritually to God, to his will, to display what is holy, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. But not only is it inward because then do we throw out all the music and all the singing? No, I mean, it's, it's important. We're commanded in scripture to sing psalm after psalm, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to him. But before jumping into any of those passages within singing, I think it's also important and we can't overlook the characteristics of singing. Singing is kind of like this quick memory shelving in our brains is the way I could think about it. And... Um, and, and an example is, I can say, Jesus loves me, this I know, and you could reply, Bible. Bible te- yeah, exactly. It, you'll never forget it. It's, it's in your brain forever. Uh, and, and I could say, just as we said right now, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. One of, the, one of those songs is like, Let It Go. By, it's still to this day. It came out so long ago, but I have nephews and nieces who still want to watch it and repeat on YouTube every time. And also, You're Welcome by Moana. Because if, if I say Baby Shark, you're going to say <laughs> almost everybody. And it's fun. If you want to remember something, and at least I think you just put it into a song. And my wife makes fun of me because my focus and my work consist of this, of a million different songs. We've recently been doing projects around the house, and usually if, if I'm going to go and measure something, say it's five and five-eighths of an inch, instead of repeating that in my head before I mark it down or write it down, I kind of just make a song up in my head, five and a half and dos palitos, or five and a half and two little, because it's two lines right after the half, and it just makes it easier for me. And that's kind of what we see in Scripture, maybe a little deeper than five and a half and dos palitos, but if we go to Deuteronomy 32. Actually, the beginning of this chapter is a song that God gives to Moses. And Moses goes to Israel and teaches them this song, a song filled with the history of the Israelites from their journey into the wilderness, from their freedom of enslavement, and now to where they're going to, um, to the promised land. And this is what, what Moses, Moses teaches them this song and tells, tells them this, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over to Jordan, going over the Jordan to possess 
So a little bit deeper than five and a half in Dos Palitos. But it's, it's, the same, it's the same idea. They were to teach it to generations, to generations, so that they won't forget who God is and the story that just happened. And says to obey the law so that when they would come to disobey the law, this would be something that they can hold on to and lean on. Not only does music make words more memorable to us, but it also connects the head and the heart in such a unique way. Every tone and pitch with a dynamic of our voices conveys a certain emotion to the truth that we're singing. Because, I mean, I could tell you who is like the Lord our God. He's strong to save. He's faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Those same words, together we can sing who is like the Lord our God? And you understand that there's an emotion behind those words. There's victory behind those words. There's more than just asking the question, who is like the Lord our God? So every nuance in our song is conveying the emotion we are responding with to that certain truth. I think God redeems music. God redeems singing because he wants to use these characteristics of music and then commands us to sing. You see it's psalm after psalm again, sing to the Lord. But not only there, we can move on to Colossians verses 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We see both those things dwell in his word and admonish one another. I think it's also really important that we see that this command isn't just a personal one, but it's a public one. It's for one another. Ephesians 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here it is the same thing, the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Singing as worship is both personal and and public. It's both inward and outward. It's about community. And my prayer and my hope is that we can take that command to heart. I, I so much have appreciated just even in this season how God has led our, our, our pastor, Pastor Eddie, into wanting that community and to taking this command so importantly. Because story after story, you hear people coming in that, that experience the time together with his church, and there's so much power in it. But not only that, I, I want to use a, a quote that I, I heard uh, Eddie and Adrian mention recently by Andy Stanley, and, and kind of put it in context with what we're talking about, also paraphrasing is, there is no power in worship. There is only power in the God we worship. So that when we draw near and we come near, and we know it's not just about singing, it's not just about memory, 
It's not just so that you can know the words, but it's so that we can respond and react to the God who is calling us to sing to him, to sing about his power. Amen. Are y'all following me? And you'd, you'd imagine that, that David is the greatest worship leader we can find in Scripture because psalm after psalm that he's written. But I want to give perspective to, to, to some of that as well. If we move to Mark 14, verse 26. It says, Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. They're celebrating Passover. Jesus washes their feet. Jesus is telling them, I'm about to leave. Don't worry. You can overcome the world knowing that I am with you. He's telling them that they're going to be persecuted. That was a promise to them. He, he gave permission for Judas to, to leave the, the room and to go betray him. So much stuff in the upper room. And it's filled with action and it's filled with them worshiping and, and celebrating Passover. But I want to emphasize a certain verse that, that, it's, that is pretty easy to just fly by. 14 verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So it's pretty easy. You can skip by that really quickly. But that's saying that before they left the upper room, they sang together. They sang a hymn together. We can easily assume that the psalms that they were singing were, were a group of psalms called the Hallel, which were Psalms 113 through 118. And so these are the songs that they were worshiping with, that they were singing as community, that Jesus was singing with his disciples. So I'd like to move us to Psalm 118. The final psalm that, that Jesus was singing with his disciples. And I think it's important to put the font in red. Because usually when you go into scripture and you, hear, you see red font, it's usually Jesus speaking, right? So this is about the same thing. Jesus singing with his disciples. Singing, out of my distress I called on the Lord the Lord answered me and set me free. This is Jesus singing, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. This is Jesus singing, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. This is Jesus singing, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The, the Lord has disciplined me severely. He has not given me over to death. This is Jesus singing with his disciples. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That day, the day that the stone was rejected. And so Jesus was the greatest worship leader of all. Because right after singing these psalms, right after leaving the upper room, he lived this perfectly. 
out of distress, Jesus calls on the Lord. The right hand of the Lord, who is Jesus, did valiantly and took on the cross. He exalted the Lord. Jesus did not die, but he lived and recounts the deeds of the Lord. He was disciplined severely, but he was not given over to death. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected and became the cornerstone. Jesus worshiped perfectly because the words he sang together with his disciples, he went on and lived out perfectly. So the point for today is because Jesus displayed perfect harmony with God's will, I can worship by singing and living sacrificially to God. Church, what would happen if we go back home and as we sang together, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. If we live that out in our homes, how different would that be in our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our families? As we sing together, as we leave, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. What if we left this place and lived as free as we can possibly be in Jesus and in God? Free from sin and free to obey the law and free to obey Jesus and follow Jesus. What would happen to an entire new year following this one if we sang and we knew death has no sting on me? How would that change our perspective as we go out into a COVID devastated world? Let's use our song as a community to admonish one another, to lift each other up, knowing that God is doing and using his power there because it is him who is using each, using each of us, every one of us in this church. And let's move forward to a new year singing hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me and then leave these doors and live that out. Let's pray. Father, we, we draw near knowing, God, that, that only your son can do this perfectly and that is your grace. That he came to sing with his disciples, that he'd become the cornerstone. He knew he would be disciplined, disciplined with what we deserved, with the wrath that we deserved. But because he lived, because he lived out what he sang on that day, we can now draw near without shame, ready to lift up who you are and what you're doing in each of our lives. Father, give us eyes to continue seeing you throughout this week, 
and the ways that you've worked in our lives this past year and the season you're bringing us into in 2021. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Thank you, church.